Good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, well, the program's designed for someone like me. There's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be soul-shaking. It might be something that's just been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes just a casual front porch style talk with my pastors, often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area, that includes Metro East, or toll-free anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome to the front porch. Hey, thanks for having me again. Hey, no problem at all. Well, we've got a lot going on, a lot to talk about. i got to tell you, I've been following the news, as I think most of the country has been doing right now, watching the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings and uh, the accusations flying back and forth. And uh, when I emailed you earlier saying, gee, what should we talk about? You came up with something that I hadn't thought about in relation to this that I think is a great idea. And that is due process. What does the Bible say about due process? So what does it say? Well, uh, it says uh, the first the first place to start with due process, which really assumes the whole, uh, you know, the whole idea of it is the Eighth Commandment. And, uh, you know, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, what's interesting about that is that now, Luther, what Luther does with it is he applies it more generally to every facet of life. You know, that you shouldn't even speak ill of your neighbor in, uh, in your everyday life. Um, and, uh, and yet what, what Luther also does is, uh, he makes it about the, the court, about, uh, about the proper jurisdiction. And he says, you know, if you know that something's true, and you, uh, or you're convinced that something is true about someone, then, uh, then you can't, if you do not have the authority to pursue it, then you, you shouldn't say anything unless you are going to go to the authorities and, and you're willing to, to actually testify. And, 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 uh, this really ends up, Luther kind of comes full circle with this where he's applying it to the individual life, but then, uh, he ends up coming back to the original meaning of the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment was given to the people of Israel as a way to describe what they are and are not allowed to do in court when they're deciding public disputes in the civil court. And so, so it, kind of, it begins with that, but the, the concept of due process, uh, which is in our, our constitutions in the Bill of Rights, the Fifth Amendment, um, that uh, it, it, it's the concept that one is uh, innocent until proven guilty, and, uh, and, and that what means then, so the due process would be the process that is due to him, that, that is, that, that society, that is, is part of his right, um, to, uh, to face his accuser, to be, uh, to receive a fair trial. And we see this also in the Old Testament when God sets up sanctuary cities. 
if a man is uh, has unintentionally killed someone um, and they still need to investigate this to, to, to determine whether this was uh, maliciously done or whether it was just manslaughter, then he then he had a sanctuary city or a city of refuge to go to and stay there until he received due process. Um, so this is very much alive in the scriptures. Um, you also have uh, Paul telling Timothy that uh, he should not accept a charge against a pastor without without uh, the 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 the, uh, the account of two or three witnesses. Um, and and of course that's not that, that's not only applied to pastors. That's 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 for the sake of all. That's, that's uh, so that all can have a fair hearing. And it really is. It reflects God's justice. It reflects what kind of God He is. That God is not. Um, he's not a speculating God. God is a God of truth. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is that we are not God. We can't read into people's hearts. And so we have to, you know, uh, we, we have to pursue that truth in a godly way. And it's something that even the founding fathers, which not all of them were Christian, um, understood and put in the, because we do know, we, we, we know this part of God's law, uh, to an extent by nature. Um, and so it is enshrined in our Fifth Amendment. Thank God it is, because it really is a basic, uh, you know, a basic tenet of uh, of justice and of civil justice, uh, definitely. Well, I, I look at uh, the New Testament example, actually, of Jesus. Uh, remember, Jesus was arrested by the temple guards. Yeah. And he was first brought to uh, to uh, uh, Pilate for judgment. And Pilate said, I don't have jurisdiction here. This guy's a Galilean. Give him mm-hmm. to Herod. And Herod said, well, I don't see anything here. Give him back to Pilate. And Pilate yeah, yeah. finally took it and actually found him not guilty. But yeah. when... When he decided to put, when he decided to crucify Jesus anyway, that's when the due process went off the rails, and we yeah. saw the, the the consequences of that. It, yeah, it's very interesting that um, you know because what Jesus does, and I've I've taught this in uh, on Good Friday before. I've made this point on uh, in Good Friday when we go through the Passion reading from John, where uh, Pilate says to Jesus. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to or to uh, or to hand you over? And Jesus says to him, "You would have no authority unless it were given to you by my Father." Now, what Jesus is doing, and I've, I've pointed this out in my in my Good Friday sermon before, is that what Jesus is doing is really two things. First, he's he's showing Pilate his place. He's saying, "Hey, you have no authority in yourself. Your authority comes from God." But on the other hand, what he's also doing is he's affirming God's authority. And, and you know, this goes back to what, what he was saying in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that not my will but your will be done. And so God actually, despite the corruption that you just pointed out of Pilate, uh, God still works through that authority. And that's something that a really important lesson for us to learn is that, you know, the Scriptures tell us to submit to earthly authorities. Well, Why? Not not simply because we're supposed to be uh, um, a gluttons for, uh, for 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 punishment, um, but because we uh, because we we recognize that it all comes from God, and if it all comes from God, then we should expect some type of uh, process that would reflect at least uh, to an extent that authority that God has set in place. And you see, I mean, you have another example: Paul doing this when he appeals to Caesar. 
um, in, in, in the book of Acts when he's, you know, they, they basically want to string him up right there and, and stone him. Um, but he appeals to Caesar. And so you see how God works through uh, the civil estate in order to, uh, you know, rule with his left hand, that is, with the law. And, of course, it's, a, it's imperfect, as you pointed out, with Pilate, it's corrupted. And yet God works through it. And so we, this is why we're told to submit to the earthly authorities, uh, not because we're, we should always expect to have uh, fair treatment at all times, but because we know that God is set in place, and even if it has its fault, um, it's still instituted by God. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated that in Western Europe, in, in the Western world, uh, say taking up through the Middle Ages, where Christianity was was the dominant faith within Europe at that time, and yeah. yet the concept of of due process really was not was alien to them. They had trial by combat. They had uh, people uh, had to hold hot irons and then wait and see when the blisters healed or be thrown into a pool to see if they drowned. You know, oh, this is all in the hands of God. It's not in the hands of us. The entire concept of due process was missing, and yet somehow. Somehow, it developed, and I'm not sure how. I, I wish I, I wish I was enough of a historian to uh, understand really how it developed. But it did develop in Western Europe, despite the fact of the the uh, what we regard today in 21st century as being the an incredibly cruel form of quote justice that they had back then, or the divine yeah. right of kings, where. And it's how did we do this? How did we how did we evolve it? I think you know Luther. I think had a had an enormous impact on that. Yeah, yeah. And so Luther, Luther's concern for uh, for government um, was simply just that that they would be just. He was not he was not promoting even a proto version of uh, of what we have in the United States, despite what I've. You know, I've, I've always wanted to believe that Luther was kind of like the first great American, you know. <laughs> uh, because, but really he wasn't. The point with Luther, uh, Luther couldn't conceive of, of uh, I mean, I'm sure he could conceive of it, but he didn't want to have a secular government that, does not, that is not concerned with the affairs of the Church. He, he had, I mean, he, he's very clear in his, uh, in his, his works, uh, especially to, to the Christian nobility, um, where he talks about a Christian education, and he's addressing them as, as men of God. And in, 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 the, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, uh, we, we talk about, um, or is it the Augsburg Confession? Uh, yeah, the Augsburg Confession, um, you know, on, on praying to saints, uh, Melanchthon points out that, uh, that that saints are given as our example, and he, he, he names David as an example of a Christian king, who kings can can uh, can follow. So, the you know, the idea of... Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like it was in and of itself bad for them to believe themselves king by divine right. I mean, we actually, according to our theology, would say the president is president by divine right, whether or not he puts his hand on the Bible. I mean, that's just because God is into the, the office of, uh, of civil authority. So the point, though, that for Luther, um, and Luther is, would, would make, was that they be just and that they, that they not overlook the poor and the needy and those who, those who need justice. And, uh, you know, he, he discusses this kind of stuff in his large catechism. The fourth commandment talks about authority. Um, but also, uh, in the ninth and tenth commandments, 
you know, it talks about how people will just take advantage of uh, uh, of, of uh, knowing the law and being able to kind of twist it to their own to their own benefit and uh, leaving people in the dust. And he would just he would he would say, well, th- these people should be basically locked up. You know, they should be the, the, the government should do something about this. So so there is. And that's part of due process as well. You know, when you look at the in the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament and you know, the prophets, they often speak this way where he says, do justice, right? And he's talking to the king, do justice, you know, pick up the cause for the widow and the orphan and for the, for the, for the poor. Um, th- this is part of due process as well, is that people get a fair hearing, that, that, that those who are, uh, that those who, you know, that those who are, are either being oppressed by someone or being accused of something, they all get a fair hearing. And that's the point. That's the reason why we, why we practice this due process is because we recognize that we're not God. We can't read the heart, and therefore we need to pursue things with the, with the goal of the truth, and, uh, and, and, the, and the purpose of the truth is to, you know, whether in a civil sense or, or in a spiritual sense, to set you free. Well I, well, I think Luther actually led by example on that when he submitted himself to the judgment of the Diet at Worms. You know, especially regarding what had happened to Jan Hus a hundred years earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, Luther was uh, he himself experienced, um, you know, to the fullest extent uh, what it what it, what it means to be on the other end of a of a kangaroo court. Um, so he he really understood this kind of stuff, and it's really kind of it's really fun to to, to read um, the confessions, to read other Reformation writings, and learn about the Reformation because you see how every part of life um, really we could summarize it into the three estates: the the civil estate, uh, the domestic estate of the home, and the uh, churchly estate. That all three of these estates were were at stake. You know that that all of these things are are affected by the gospel even though the the civil estate is not um you know it does not wield the right the sword of the uh, of the gospel it wields the sword of the of of, of you know the law um and yet at the same time as christians the the, the reformers had a concern for civil justice and and that concern really was derived from their spiritual concern for the truth, for uh, for for mercy, for um, you know, for fairness, equity, and and that's a, not showing partiality, you know, uh, that that because that's the kind of God that we have, and so we want to confess Him in every part of life as much as possible. Are we perhaps uh, putting too narrow a definition on due process? Uh, do we have due process in our dealings with our spouses, with our children, with our family and friends, and with the church? Absolutely, I would say we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one thing that my dad has uh, has uh, pointed out is uh, you know sometimes you get you you can get uh, uh, frustrated with the uh, with error that goes on that's tolerated in churches and stuff, and uh, you know you can get get restless on. Um, you know, with with whether these things are being dealt with, and and you know, you can make arguments here and there if they're not dealt, if they're not being dealt with as they should. But what my dad has said is, uh, you know, he's he said, you know, just while certainly we should want 
there to be discipline and, and false teachers to be dealt with. At the same time, you got to be careful that you are not moving too hastily because you, due process is something not just for the civil realm, but for the collegial realm, too, and even in the home. And this is, uh, you don't, uh, I mean, this is what Paul says. Don't accept a charge against a, against a, an elder without without uh, two or three witnesses. And um, and so this is we would be we would be very hypocritical if we were to uh, insist on having this in the civil realm, um, but not practice it ourselves in the in in our own homes and in our churches. Um, and uh, you know Paul talks about this in First uh, Corinthians six, where he talks about you know that you're going to be judging the angels. So you should judge these things among yourselves. You should be able to, to decide to, to uh, decide disputes and, and, and to solve solve problems among yourselves, and to be fair to one another. And and, uh, and it should be even more so among among the Christians, um, because we have the we have the truth. We have the, the Holy Spirit. Well, for example, let, let's let's take a, a situation that I, I'm sure happens a lot within within Lutheran churches. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, Let's say that you have an unmarried couple, a, a, a heterosexual couple that are cohabiting. Okay. And they're members of your congregation. What happens here? Because, you know, they, they, they know this is not what we, we, we agree with. This is not. Uh-huh. So how do you yeah. handle that as a pastor? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, example. Because it's very common, too. And so, no, I think you're right that you seem to, you know, you're implying that, 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 Due process would would uh, would uh, play out in this as well, and I, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what, could could they take communion? Knowing well, that... I think to see this is where what you would have to determine then is that first, do you know, right? I mean, what do you know? And uh, you know, when I what what I what, the first thing that I begin with as a pastor is that I might have my suspicions, but I cannot make a judgment unless I know. Um, now, once I find out, then I'll explain to them. I owe it to them to explain to them what God's Word says and to tell them that, you know, that this is, this is contrary to God's Word, and as long as you're living in, in, in this, then I can't give you communion. But at the same time, I think it's just it's a very, it, it, it's very important that, that we be careful to, to uh, make sure that they know um, that our goal for them is not for them, is not just to get rid of them. It's not at all to get rid of them. It is to teach them and to get them to a better understanding. And this is really why this is related to due process, is that, um, you know, they're, they are, uh, the goal in due process is that everyone would know the truth or that, that the truth would, would, uh, would, would be, uh, would prevail and that people would not be, uh, treated in a, in a speculative kind of manner, just judged in a speculative kind of manner, but, but in, a, in an honest way, um, and, and so uh, with understanding. And so you can apply this to really any situation, especially the one that you mentioned. Um, and, yeah, I would just say, of course, I mean, if, they're, if, they, if they tell me they're living together, then I will say, well, you know, I, I want you to take the Lord's Supper, but as it stands right now, I can't give you the Lord's Supper, but let's continue to meet, and let's continue to talk about this, and I want to convince you from God's Word. And not just, um, you know, throw you out. And if they persist, um, 
and say, well, no, we don't see any problem. We love each other. We're uh, a a stable couple. We're staying together. We're doing what we think we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And they refuse to admit that they are committing a sin. Yeah. So can you keep them in the congregation but not give them communion? Uh, Well, I'm glad I don't have your job. (laughs) Yeah, well, I know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. And uh, that's why I think what we got to understand is that... um, Okay, so theologically speaking, spiritually speaking, you know, there is no distinction. There's really no difference between what we call the ban, that is banning someone from the altar, and what we call excommunication. Those things are, uh, really, we derive them both from the scriptures that say whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Um, But uh, at the same time, in practice, there necessarily ends up being a distinction, because uh, while the pastor might have to make a decision to ban someone from the from the altar, um, th- those you know he, he he still needs to afford to them the uh, the ability to 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 hear what God's word has to say, um, to uh, to have a chance to repent of their sin. Um, to, and, and, and sometimes that takes a while. It takes some instruction to uh, come to a better understanding. Um, so, I mean, I guess the way that I've dealt with it is I've said, you're, you know, I'll continue to go through, usually it's in the context of marriage instruction, marriage premarital counseling, or even instruction where one, maybe one is not a Lutheran. So I take them both through instruction, and they both go along with it. And I take that opportunity to, you know, for, for even if it takes a couple of months, um, or more to just keep teaching them, and I suppose if it gets to that point, then you know I got to be honest with them and say, you know, if you're not convinced, then I can't marry you. But in the in the meantime, I I have every intention to do that. That's what, that's my goal, and uh, let's let's uh, let's try to come to an understanding here. So you know, so it really does. Uh, uh, it it requires a lot of wisdom that um, that I pray for and. Uh, that God gives, but uh, but I think that that, it, that while we can say that okay, someone being banned from communion is really the same act that Christ instituted in the binding key, um, and yet at the same time, the way it works out is you you got to give people the chance um, that what we might call due process to be convinced or to repent or or even if they're maybe if they're they're falsely accused. I mean, there's another another issue mm. um, that you might have is someone might be accused of something um, that there's no way to know. Yeah, for example, and, one of the parishioners comes to you and say, "Well, you know, the couple's not really married." Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. what do you do? Yeah, and that's where I remember someone asking me if I know. Um, I tell you? And I said, I thought about it, and I said, you know, I don't think you should. Um, I think that those people, that if, you know, going back to Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, or even if you see your brother in sin, you could apply it in that, then you should go to him and talk to him. And that, that I, I don't think that it's good um, for the pastor to, I don't think it can result in anything good for the pastor to be operating um, from gossip, that's just not uh, that's not a stable ground 
and it, uh, it can't, I, I just don't see how that could end in anything but uh, confusion and resentment. So I think we got to be careful with uh, making sure that we are addressing things that are in the light. You know, that's what um, you know. That's what we're told by uh, uh, by Paul to be children, to to walk as children of the light and not of the darkness. That is, be honest. You're, you live out in the open and don't hide things. As you said, due process, and uh, yeah. that's where you have to make a decision. You know, is is this based on something or is it? Just simply hearsay, and uh, that's got to be a heck of a, a burden for for uh, for a pastor for anyone in power. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got to take a short break here now, but we got a lot more to talk about. I think this is a fascinating topic, and I think it's one that's very pertinent for today. Stick around; we'll be back in about three minutes. the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. This is Mike Albers asking you to save the date, Tuesday, October 9th, for a great day of golf and fellowship at Norwood Hills Country Club to benefit Christian Friends of New Americans. Registration begins at 10.30, followed by lunch and an 18-hole scramble shotgun start at noon. The evening event includes 5 p.m. hospitality hour, dinner and awards, hear inspiring stories from the New Americans that CFNA serves. Not a golfer? Join us at the hospitality hour and dinner at 5. Become a sponsor or register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. This is a great way to spend the day. Play a round of golf on a premier course while supporting CFNA as they bring the love of Jesus to refugees and immigrants in the St. Louis area. That's Tuesday, October 9th. Registration cfna-stl. Org slash golf. Support Lutheran Education and join us at Brew in the Lou Tasting Festival Saturday, October 13th from 1 in the afternoon to 5 in the evening at Francis Park featuring a sampling of St. Louis Best in Beer, Spirits, Coffee, and Good Eats. Festivities include live music, dancing, vendor sampling, and selling. For information, you can call 314-200-0797 or visit lesastl.org. That's lesastl.org. Are the champions of the National League East? At every Nationals baseball game played in Washington, D.C. this season, fans can take advantage of a promotion for discount tickets with a coupon code not usually seen in a baseball game promotion. The code? Just one word Bible. 
On Saturday, September 22nd, this year's Faith Day at Nationals Park Stadium in Washington, D.C. is sponsored by Museum of the Bible, with the Nationals playing the New York Mets. Fans who attend and choose to stay after the game hear from both Nationals and Mets players how the Bible has impacted their life. A concert featuring musical groups from churches in the area rounds out the after-game celebration. Since Museum of the Bible is the primary sponsor, the Bible has engaging fans every week in the pregame slate. Play ball! Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, the Nationals of the Mess, I don't know about that. It's got to be the cards. You know that has to be the cards. You're listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in right here at Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Preuss and I are talking about due process in the gospel. What's the Bible have to say about it? If you want to join our conversation, if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is area code 314-821-0850. And anywhere in North America, toll free, you can join in at 1-800-730-2727 or email at Let's Talk at kfuo.org. Well, Pastor, let's get back to it. Uh, due process. You know, actually, when you think about it, it's something that should really rule every part of our lives. You know, when you, mm-hmm. if you're dealing with, with, say, your spouse, you know, you, you've got to have certain rules. You have to have certain process to do to do that. Same thing with your yeah. children. They They need to know what they can do and you know how they can do it, and if they're punished, they have to know why and what it's for and how it works. Yeah. And and again, I think the Bible lays this out clearly. I mean, we're going you know all the way back to the Old Testament, as you pointed out. We've got the Ten Commandments. That's really the first step in uh, in due process. Yeah, and you know one of the the, the biggest concern. I mean, you mentioned marriage, and. Uh, um, you know, we, I actually have a, I'm going to a wedding tomorrow. Um, a friend of mine is getting married and I, and I'm, uh, preaching the sermon, which is a great privilege to do. And, uh, so I've been, you know, thinking about marriage and, and one of the things to consider is that, uh, usually, uh, at least, uh, it's been a Christian tradition, um, to, uh, to share a name, right? You have a name. And the, the significance of that is that we take Christ's name. And he's our bridegroom, and so, um, you know, so a bride takes her groom's name. And, and, and there's something very significant about that. A name, you know, we pray, and the, the first thing that God teaches us to pray is that his name would be holy. Mm. The second thing that we are commanded not to do in the Ten Commandments is that we are commanded not to take God's name in vain. Because a name is a very precious thing. God's name is precious. It saves us. And um, and this is how we, if we know this about God's name, which has been given to us, which in his name he has saved us from sin and, uh, and death, um, if we know this about God's name, then we should, we should cherish and count as precious the names of our neighbors. And, uh, and we, should, uh, we should do everything we can to uh, protect their name. And, and that's, uh, you know, Luther says in his large catechism that um, it is by nature that we love to hear evil about our neighbor more than we love to hear good. <laughs> and uh, and that's something that we must fight. We must fight in our own nature. And, oh, uh, yeah. And How many people us. like gossip, especially oh, if yeah. it's... Oh, yeah. 
is yeah, juicy okay. gossip. Guilty, right? guilty. I've done that. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is that it's uh, it's a human. It's it's part of human nature. You know, it's it's uh, it is the you know James talks about the tongue being the the most powerful part of the body. Yeah, and uh, you know this is uh, we should we should guard it. I remember, and, you know, uh, the, the old enemy, the old Adam, is always there. Yeah, exactly. So, and we guard our tongue not so that we don't, not merely so that we don't look foolish, but so that we don't tarnish our neighbor's reputation. You know, this is this is part of you know, uh, Paul talks about this all the time, especially in Corinthians, in First Corinthians, about you know, do not do not make judgment before the time. You know, there's something very humbling about that because it teaches us that. You know, we don't know. And, I, and it's interesting how it all goes back to the original sin. The original sin was wanting to know what God hasn't given you to know. You know, the knowledge of good and evil. Well, evil about whom, right? Evil about your neighbor. Evil about, you know, the, the juicy details that, that are sinful nature that we just love to, to, to pry into. And, and that's something that, um, you know, we... You know the gospel teaches us that God has given us a new name, and and that He has that He has uh, written our name in the book of life, and that He knows us by name. As uh, Isaiah forty three said, um, "This is this is something that we should therefore uh, count as our most important duty on earth to preserve the name of God among us and to preserve the name of our neighbor." And uh, it really is just it should make us. Um, it should make us uh, very uh, 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 wary um, and on our guard, not simply for ourselves, but for the honor of God and uh, and His truth. When we see friend, a frenzy of, 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 of just wanting to bring you know bring someone's name through the mud, um, and uh, and it's it you know of course it's all around us, and of course you know the elephants in the room. The reason why we brought this up is we hear about these charges. Um, on the uh, recent Supreme Court nominee, and it's just incredible how I mean this isn't necessarily anything new. We, we hear about these these things happen a lot, especially when they're politicized. But this should really make us, you know, take warning as Christians that we don't fall into the wickedness of of, uh, of uh, putting down our neighbor and destroying his name and reputation. It is, uh, and also you have to resist the. Um the temptation of, of well, I look at, for example, the situation we're just talking about with the Supreme Court. Uh, if, assuming for the moment that the accusations against him are false or unproven, the way it is being presented, I, you know, I, I would have a hard time, for example, suppressing my anger at some of the people who are tarnishing his name for political purposes. Yeah. And I have to try. I have to suppress my anger. Well, maybe not. I, I don't know. That that's that's another. Maybe that's another topic for discussion. Or is that also part of the due process? To- uh, I think it kind of is. I mean, there's because you know w- what do you and I want to do? And this is why politics are fun, right? Yeah. Um. And 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 they're necessary too. But what do you and I want to do by nature? We want to make a judgment. Um. And it it, it is uh so. You're going to be angry 
And of course, your anger as a Christian, your anger is always going to be tainted with sin, and yet at the same time, you know, if it's, if it's anger over what is actually wicked, then it's good anger because it comes from God. So God, God's anger is the only good anger. That's kind of, you know, and sometimes he gives, and he often gives that to us. Um, and yet, um, you know, when you, so, so is it, you know, is it wrong to be angry? Well, no, um, as long as it's God's anger. Um, but also we should recognize that the anger of man never produced the righteousness of God. And so one, one, something that we should be on guard about is making a judgment, um, uh, uh, about an individual, right? And this is something, so this is now, this does not mean, this is what people will assume. So take this lady. So let's assume we should assume that he's innocent. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what love compels us to do. We should assume he's innocent unless it is proven otherwise. And that should be the assumption. Now, human reason is going to step in and say, aha, so you're calling her a liar? Well, no, that's not, I'm not making a judgment on her at all. I'm just simply assuming as love compels me to do, as I am commanded to do in the Eighth Commandment, I'm assuming that he's innocent. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, until, he, until, he's, until it's proven otherwise. And I'm not making a judgment on her. I'm leaving that to God. And, and that's why this really does become something that only Christians can really grasp. Um, uh, because uh, uh, Christians understand that God actually is a God who judges justly, who sent his son to, to take away our sins, and we, under, you know, we have faith. We, and faith is something that does not sit there and test God. Um, faith is something that trusts in God, that he has saved us, that he has judged rightly, and that he will continue to judge rightly. So, so I think that's important to remember, is that we must assume the man's innocence um, until proven otherwise, and in doing so, that does not mean that we are, that we are leveling a charge against the accuser. Um, you know, that that's, uh, and doesn't seem to follow human reason, but that doesn't matter. Well, that concept of innocent until proven guilty is a relatively modern one, and and I think a Western assumption. Uh, Other societies, it's the other way around, guilty until proven innocent, or even uh, guilty upon accusation. Mm. Well, and I I mean, I think that, you know, it's become known among us as as innocent until proven guilty, Um, and I suppose the Bible doesn't specifically spell it out in those terms but i but the, the way that the scriptures speak and and the way if you look at the the the, the mosaic law and and the the rules that it had you know like i mentioned the uh, the sanctuary cities and stuff um and how harsh god's law was on those who would practice vigilantism um that they that god god says you shall have no compassion for them if they kill the man who is who is uh who is in the the the, uh, the sanctuary city or the the city of refuge? Um, and why is that? Because they have violated God's judgment. So, so there certainly is. Uh, uh, you know, we, we are to we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to assume then the best about our neighbor. And this is what you know. This is what Luther teaches us. This and in the explanation of the Eighth Commandment, put the best instruction on everything. And um, that doesn't mean that you don't still allow those who have been given the authority from God to, to examine and judge. Um, but it does, it, in fact, it means precisely that. It means that you, if you don't have that, if you're not called to that, if you are not given the, uh, 
the judgment from God, then you can't make the judgment. Well, and I know in so, a lot of Islamic countries, for example, they have blasphemy laws. Yeah. And where the mere accusation is usually yeah. enough to convict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's um, you see that, and that's the thing too. Like, with, what is wrong with that? What's wrong with it isn't so much that they want to, you know, rid blasphemy of their culture. I mean, obviously they already worship a false god, so they're 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 already blaspheming. So we know that. But even then, like, let's say that that, that there's a Christian culture, and they and they, and they want to preserve uh, pure doctrine. Take Saxony, right? Take Frederick the Wise. Okay. He wants the gospel to predominate in his land. Um, so what's he going to do? Well, he can't. He can't tr- uh, 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 be uh, a cruel dictator in the sense of uh, of um, you know taking people uh, out and killing them um, if they are you know if if, if they are uh, not believing in the truth. You know he he doesn't wield. The, the you know his his office is an office of, of the sword which must uh, deal with 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 civic obedience and yet at the same time he does care he does want I mean I, again we don't live in that kind of era right now we don't live in the kind of situation that they live in so you know the blast what's wrong with the blasphemy laws of Islam is exactly what you pointed out there um, besides the fact that they got a false religion. But second of all, that the mere accusation would actually, in, you know, be able to uh, uh, indict someone. I mean, that's just that's uh, that's insane, and that 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 it shows what kind of god they have. You know, that, that it's it's not a it's not a just that 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 is not a just process. So, um, you know, there was uh, uh, you know, like so in the Reformation. I know this is kind of hard for Americans to swallow, but in the Reformation. If there were false teachers who were promoting false teaching, at the very least, Luther would want them to be suppressed, you know, and want them to, uh, and you know, to not have a position at the university, right? And even in our synod, we would want the same, right? We don't. I was going to say we've that, actually seen that right? with Seminex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with Seminex and with other, you know, that, that we, this happens. So I mean, and 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 there's no there's no way to avoid the externals of it, right? I mean, if a if a pastor. Is removed from his position. He's out of a job. You know, you could you could say that the church has robbed him of his livelihood. Well, you know, sometimes that's necessary if it is done with the due process of uh, of 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 uh, hearing them out and uh, and according to God's word. So I mean, it's not like it's wrong to to uh, punish people or exercise whatever authority you're given on people who are teaching false doctrine. I mean, we have to do this to some extent, depending on where we are, you know, in, in uh, where God has placed us. But there's also um, a due process that's involved it, in that. Exactly. And that's what, that's exactly what, the, and that's what's so important. And Luther would not have uh, uh, wanted to uh, to rid them of due process. This is what, what did Luther call people who wanted to, who, who, uh, who were vigilantes who didn't want to, the due process of law? He called them fanatics. He called them shramari, right? You know, like buzzies. You know? He, he said they were new spirits, and, we, we, and, and, uh, and, and those are the ones we should be suppressed, right? Because they're lawless. And that's, that's, so the law is given for our good if we use it correctly. And it's like, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, it's laid down for the unrighteous. Um, and, and, and so, so, the, so while we do still have to use this to an extent in the church, and even 
punish people to to an extent. I mean, maybe not cut their hands off, but you know, but still use it. Um, the, we need, as you said, we need to uh, allow them to uh, to be heard and uh, to uh, to make their case whether they are guilty or innocent. And um, and you know, and that that also has to do with. I think this also informs how we treat one another. That we try to have that we not be afraid to have conversations and to discuss stuff, especially in the church. That we not be afraid to to argue. Right and uh, and try to make our case from the scriptures. Well, per- um, perhaps the concept of of due process actually defines a Christian culture. I'm, what I'm thinking, you know, over and above the uh, example that we just put about is the Islamic world. Look at, for example, the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. where you know Stalin made people just disappear. It wasn't even a matter of accusation; they were gone. Yeah. Uh, Hitler did the same thing. You know, dictatorships yeah. have always done that. There was no due process. Exactly. Maybe that's what separates us from them. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it, and that's exactly it. And that's why, like, we, we got to be careful that we don't assume that just because, you know, especially when we look throughout history, that just because a government was not shaped in the way that our government is shaped, that they were necessarily unjust. What made them unjust was exactly that kind of stuff that you described, that they would go behind, that they'd be secretive, that they'd go behind uh, 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 people's backs, that they would that they would be deceitful, um, and that they'd be untruthful and cruel, and that that's what made them unjust. Um, you can have a just king, right? A monarchy is not a bad thing necessarily, yeah. um, you know. But but what makes it what makes it unjust is when they do not exercise the authority that God has given them to exercise, and that is to to be just. And fair and 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 uh, practice equity. And uh, that was also an evolution, I think, within Western society. I know with like, with the Arthurian legend, for example, where mm-hmm. he, the concept being that that he had the idea of protecting the uh, the, the helpless, the idea of honor, the idea of justice. Mm-hmm. You know, Arthur may or may not have existed, but the, the 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 legend still goes along that way. And you know, and I think we could look back. You know, if you, go, if you look anything uh, into English history, uh, uh, King Alfred the Great actually called upon the idea of written law. I mean, yeah, it, it never happened before. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, and and you know, one of the things uh, like last I remember last year uh, I was uh, going through with my son about uh, uh, Mesopotamian history and stuff and. We learned a little bit about uh, the, the Code of Hammurabi. Ah. And, uh, you know, he had the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so people will say, well, it's very similar to the Mosaic Law, or Moses must have taken it from him. When really, if you, you know, you compare them, and the Mosaic Law has a lot more in it that is um, compassionate toward the, the poor and the needy. Um, and uh, and these, are, these are kinds of things that we should want. Um, and I think a lot of times, as, as often as Christians, we're, we're more on the conservative side of the political spectrum, which makes sense. Um, not, it's not always the case necessarily, but, but, uh, but usually, you know, that, that's, uh, you're going to find, at least in the United States, um, a, a suspicion, at least, or at least kind of a wariness of the welfare state. Um, and, uh, and I think that what, 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 what's wrong if, if we have any criticism of, of a social welfare 
as Christians, we got to remember that what's wrong, what's wrong with it, if there's something wrong with it, it's not that, that uh, people are, are being taken care of, right? And, that, and, and I, it, it, it's not that, uh, that, that there are programs to help people who are in need. If there's anything wrong with it, it would be that the uh, is, that, that that people are not given incentive, right, to uh, to live godly lives, to live righteous lives, to live to to pursue the state of marriage and not just you know um, you know sleep around and stuff like that. So I mean, these kinds. Of, so the goal in any type of uh, uh, just society is that people would be moral. Um, and uh, that they would uh, that they would tr- that they would uh, treat uh, one another with uh, with re- with that um, respect that they that honor as, as Peter says honor honor everyone honor all men um, and what what is at the heart of that is compassion so I think that, that that when we talk about things like due process that really we're talking about compassion um, that 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 that, uh, that we are not to be mindless. Um, uh, emotionless, compassionless, uh, you know, dictators um, who, and, and that could be, you know, you, that could be the mob or it could be one person mm. or it could be just a group of people. Um, but, uh, but we are to have our neighbor's interest in mind. And, uh, and so it's, it, it's not, it's not necessarily this or that economic plan. Um, uh, although these things are certainly related the main goal or a Christian within the civil estate, whether as a ruler or as a subject, is to protect his neighbor. And uh, to protect his neighbor's reputation is one of the big ones in that. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. And also to to uh, let people grow to their full potential. And if I have a, a complaint against certain aspects of the welfare state, it is that it often stifles incentive. It stifles the, the potential of, 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 of the genius of the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I look at uh, the disintegration of the family in so many communities that have, been, uh, that have gone on in, in welfare for generations. Yeah. You know, the, the motivation may well have been good, and I can understand that, but there is this unintended consequence that is incredibly harmful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the key for us as Christians is not to get all, not to uh, get up, get caught up into the hype of it all of the of the of the political talking point, yeah. but to really examine it. You know, just as you did there. You know, that that the the, the goal uh, is to uh, is to affirm and and extol the institutions of God, which is the the the, the civil authority to protect. And uh, and the the domestic authority that God has set in place, you know, the family, the home, um, and then of course the church, and, uh, and and so these, when we look at it from these kind of three stations, um, then we can have a better understanding of what of where our place is in the world, and uh, that our goal as Christians is in every way to confess the truth, confess Christ, and to do good to all people especially to those of the household of faith. Well, I, th- I think in my evolution through the church, you know, I was born and I was baptized. That was part of the process. I went yeah. through Sunday school, part of the process. I went to uh, 
uh, confirmation classes, part of the process. I, I was presented to the church and was allowed in as an adult to take communion. Uh, just recently, uh, by that I mean with the last couple of years, you know, I changed my church membership. When I was out in California, I moved. I was a member of a church out there, and then I moved out okay. here, and because I work Sundays, I wasn't able to get into uh, a local congregation. Just recently, last year or so, I did. And again, I had to stand up before the congregation and affirm my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Part of the process to be accepted within that congregation, something I proudly would do. Excuse me, wrong word. Humbly did. I said yeah. proud, and I shouldn't. I'm well, you proud. can say you boast in the Lord, right? That's yeah. where you yeah. boast is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's absolutely, that's, that's a great point. That, and, that, and that gets to kind of the point, too, about how it needs to be in the light. It needs to be public. You know, I can't just, uh, you know, that, that it goes the, the same with, like, you know, going back to the issue of a couple living together. They might say, well, what if we just kind of sleep in separate bedrooms and we still stay in the same house? And they say, well, here's the thing is that this is about a public confession, too. You, you can't change, you know, you, you you can tell me that, and I'm not I'm not going to say I don't believe you, but but that's not the, that's just not the point. That's not the issue. The issue is it's a public thing. And you can't just protest the fact that it's public. You know, people will say, well, I just, I don't care what people think about me. Oh, really? Really? You don't? Okay. Yeah. That's a, that, 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 that's really an, an interesting claim. I don't, you know, of course, it is. You care, of course you care what people think about you. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And, and the fact, and, and there's a reason why you should care because some things are public. They're by nature public. And so if someone is accused of something, if there's a dispute, if someone's caught up in sin and it's known, then it needs to be dealt with according to that public, uh, uh, you know, kind of way. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to make it more public than it already is. But you can still deal with things in, with discretion and stuff like that in order to save and, and help people's reputation, obviously. But at the same time, you know, like you point out go, with, with going to another congregation, you can't just have, you can't just privately believe something. No, faith breeds the confession. And so that's why you go before the congregation and you say, this is what I believe, in the same way that we would deal with anything mm-hmm. that is in the public. Um, you have to deal with it publicly, and therefore you can only determine things according to that public confession and evidence. So the same reason why I can't accept you into my congregation if I don't know your public confession, at the same time, I'm not going to accept a charge against someone Unless there is public evidence for it. Due process. Well, yeah. Pastor, we've come to the end of our time here, and this has been a fascinating discussion. And I want to remind people that uh, if you've been listening to Let's Talk, the pastor is in. Now, today's guest pastor was Andrew Price. He's the pastor of Holy, Chin- Holy Trinity Lutheran Church up in Iowa. And every Friday, a pastor sits in with me for a friendly little chat about... Well, whatever's on our minds. Now, if you have questions or comments about the program, email it to us at letstalk at kfuo.org. Now, I want to give special thanks to the Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Laud, and Honor as a theme for Let's Talk the Pastor is In. Pastor Bowie's music and his books, the Diamond uh, the Diamond uh, series is fabulous, by the by. Is available on Amazon.com. I'm Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings.
listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.